When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit this is The Art of Awesome, episode number 129. And so as I came out of the ICU and I got into physical therapy, it wasn't really a format that was any different than like going down to a play hole and like trying to teach myself how to back loop, you know? It was like training neurological pathways. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about! Wait! Okay now, from the beginning. Hit it, boys. Welcome to the Art of Awesome. My name is Nick Troutman, and I'm a professional athlete, entrepreneur, family man, and adventure seeker. My goal is to share with you stories, knowledge, and inspiration as we continue on the journey together, searching for that secret sauce to producing awesome results in everyday life. Thanks for spending some time with me today, and let's get to it. Welcome back, everyone, to... The Art of Awesome podcast. I am your host, Nick Troutman, and this is the show where we search for that secret sauce to success and the difference between the average and the awesome. Today is Monday, and we've got another deep dive interview with a phenomenal guest and one of my very, very close friends, Jason Craig. Jason is a world champion kayaker and Finishing up his PhD in geology, we talk all about his story from getting into kayaking through winning the world championships, through a a horrible back-breaking accident, and then how that led him into the field of geology and the incredible adventures that he is on now. We dive deep into all sorts of amazing geological studies and the research that he is doing with geothermal activity and trying to bring power into these remote locations. This is just a really incredible conversation that has so much inspiring story, adventure, and advice. So if you're going through a hard time, you are going to want to listen to this story. Or if you're just excited to hear some amazing science and adventure, this is also going to be a very fun conversation and an interview that I'm excited to share with you guys. So let's wait no longer and jump right into it. Here is my good buddy, Jason Craig. Well, first off, Jason, uh, thank you so very much for joining me here on the Art of Awesome podcast. Yeah, it's great to be here. I've been listening for uh, for a while now, and uh, excited to be one of one of the featured featured people in your in your podcast. Yeah, bud. Well, uh, thanks for joining me. And we go back. I don't know. I don't even know how many years. A long time. I've known you since. I don't know. Was it two thousand? Five was probably the first year I met you, and and I think we met in Reno the first time, and we were sur- I was surfing like uh, the the play spot there in the in the Whitewater Park in downtown, and this little kid comes down in a fun one, and like looks like he could like barely roll, and then he just drops into the hole, starts doing back loops and lunar orbits. We're like 
two tricks at the time that I could not do. So I was blown away with like, who is this young punk that's like totally showing me up? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway. And, and we have become, uh, super close friends and lots has happened since then. But so, yeah, so essentially since 2005 to now, uh, you've won a world championships, you've done a whole bunch, but I'm going to let you kind of fill us in between, uh, where it started off with you throwing back loops at a fun one to now. And then, uh, and then we'll kind of talk about where you're at right now and, and your current projects. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, um, uh, well, I come from a uh, family of kayakers. My dad is a kayaker for, First and foremost, and he got me into paddling. I don't even know when. I mean, kind of like Dane, I bet where it's like, you know, in and around the river growing up. And uh, uh, but like the defining moment was when I saw Dane at the first Reno River Festival, and he was throwing loops, and it was like mind blowing. I was like, oh, <laughs> I got to get a fun one. I got to go do some tricks. <laughs> so that's all I did. Like for the next year, uh, I'd go down to the Whitewater Park here in Reno, and. Uh, learned how to roll pretty quick. And then I don't even think I could loop before I learned how to back loop. And that made sense to me because I would throw like a million backflips on my trampoline. So when you get the timing down, it was, it was, uh, pretty, pretty quick. Um, uh, but you know, after that, I ended up spending most of my childhood, like kayaking and doing freestyle. And I, I grew up with Nick and I grew up with Dane and Emily and I lived in the RV a bunch. We traveled all together kind of as a family. But um, when I was 17, I, I ended up breaking my back super bad. I, I had a really terrible injury. I ran a, about 30 footer, 40 footer and landed on a rock and completely shattered my spine. And it was, um, it was a pretty rough time because I went from basically being like, I was the world champion, but in a lot of ways, kind of on top of the world to not being able to walk and not really knowing um, what life had in store for me. A, uh, uh, and that that really kicked off a, a pretty long recovery process and I'm still recovering now, but in particular, the first couple of years, um, it was basically about reprogramming my legs to function. And I didn't know if I'd be able to, you know, just do basic human functions, but, but really get back to kayaking and doing the things I love. Um, and so I just kept working every day. It was kind of like switching from athlete mode training for competitions to like still using the same mindset, but, training to recover. And, uh, I had a first and foremost, really good team of like doctors, physical therapists. Um, and also I worked super hard to just get back my function. And so within the next year, I was able to get back in my kayak and kayak again. And <laughs> it was, uh, it was a crazy adventure. So in, in that time, I went from basically being super focused on kayaking and in my recovery process, I started going to school and, got into geology and, um, that started a whole arc for me that, um, now I'm a, a PhD student at Stanford and I basically, I'm combining my passions of, uh, whitewater kayaking and river exploration with basically using those skills to access places that nobody can get to, to do science, to do the geology. Um, so it's been, uh, it's been a crazy, it's been a crazy ride so far. <laughs> wow. Well, uh, one, your story to me is is just truly incredible, and and I remember we obviously have been super close friends since you you were young, but I remember getting the phone call when you had your accident, and I was so speechless at the time of like I I don't even know what to say, and it was just 
yeah, I can't imagine what you were going through when that happened. And, and I truly, I never thought about it until you just explained it the way that you did. I wonder how much of the fact that you being a world champion and knowing how to overcome uh, difficult situations and just how to, to use focus in your mind and, and just everything and use that to your advantage in the sense of a, a fast recovery. Like you say it now, I remember at the time it seeming like just so much uncertainty and, and it taking forever. But at the same point, when you say like, oh, you were back in your kayak within a year for the accident and, and, and the amount of damage that was done, it actually sounds like years later now when you're like, oh yeah, I was back kayaking within a year. It's like, oh, that sounds pretty quick. Like, oh, not that much of a rehab, but you were doing like immense amount of rehab and just a ton of work dedicated to that. So first off, I guess how much of the rehab do you think had to do with the fact that you had this like world championship mindset and, and you just knew that nothing can stop me. If I put the focus and my mind and heart to it, you know, I can do anything type mentality. I mean, I think, I think that was everything to it in a lot of ways. It was being resilient and not giving up my, my original diagnosis. I'll never forget this. Um, I was lying on the hospital bed and I had been through a bunch of rounds of imaging CT scans and it'd been like over 24 hours for sure. And hadn't really gotten an answer other than that. I knew I had broken my spine. I didn't really know how bad. And the neurosurgeon comes in and he's like touching my legs and kind of prodding some things. I, you know, I couldn't really tell exactly what was going on. And he asked me some questions, but he gets ready to leave. And as I, as I ask him, you know, um, uh, I basically just say, have I lost any feeling? Uh, and he's like, you already have, like you're paralyzed essentially. And that moment to me was like really heavy. I mean, <laughs> build up a whole life and, uh, uh, a world of, of being a kayaker and traveling and having all this freedom and having the realization at that moment that you have limitations and not just like normal limitations, but like really severe limitations. Um, it's hard, you know, it hits, it hits like right at your core. <laughs> uh, and I think it wasn't that I rejected that. I think that's really important is that some people, at least with some similar diagnoses might say like, I don't, I don't believe in this. And it wasn't that I didn't believe in it. It was that it was more like, like I, I heard what he said and I mostly just wanted to try to expand what I could do with what I had and not give up and limit myself to if I would only be able to walk with crutches or be in a wheelchair or whatever that was. And so as I came out of the ICU and I got into physical therapy, it wasn't really a format that was any different than like going down to a play hole, and like trying to teach myself how to back loop, you know, it was like training neurological pathways that in a lot of ways um, I'm really lucky because, and this is really important. I didn't have a complete spinal cord injury. Um, I had uh, uh, basically a spinal cord injury in my sacral nerve roots. So the, the spinal cord comes down through, you know, the main vertebrae. And as it hits the lumbar, um, it branches out into the sacrum and it kind of like, it's like a whole like network of nerves that branch out at that point. And so exactly what I did, I, I basically burst fractured L4 and L5 and I split my sacrum in half vertically and I had a spinal cord injury in the sacrum. So I kind of dislodged and like cut and basically just like serrated large, large bone fragments in my spinal cord. Um, 
but it wasn't like at one specific level. So it was like this like hodgepodge of neurological weaknesses <laughs> and, wow. and pain too. Um, so, you know, I, I had a very unique injury, but I also had in some sense, the perfect storm for having lots of different, you know, um, kind of neurological weaknesses that didn't have like a clear cut way to go about addressing it. So I just got to work and I started going to PT every day and every exercise they gave me, it was like, let me do that. And then let me keep going <laughs> and trying more and more and more. And, um, on my own time, even just being in my house, I'd be in so much pain that a big part of this was using my mind to be aware of the pain responses. And this isn't, some of this is like typical pain, like, like you break a bone and you have pain coming to you, but a lot of this was also neurological pain. So like kind of phantom pain in some sure. sense, um, where I'd like put on a sock and in the process of putting on the sock, I feel like I like douse my foot in gasoline and like lit it on fire or something, you know, like that, like extreme of pain and realizing that like, okay, well, this pain signal that's coming to me right now, I can't do anything about it. And if I shut myself off to it, you know, I could take more neurological painkillers or painkillers, but that only went so far for me that a huge part of it was actually like trying to open my mind up to these pain signals and realizing that in a lot of ways, these pain signals are just disruptive or disrupted neurological pathways that I had to like reconnect back into my, you know, my, uh, I don't know the, the perfect word to describe this, but, um, you know, my mind connect, connect my mind back up to my legs that had been severed in some sense. Like re and reconnect so the pathways of, almost. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of time I spent just meditating and thinking about like, okay, I can't use this toe right now, or I can't, you know, fire this muscle and just imagining that connection and what that connection felt like before and seeing if I could find even just like a subtle hint of it at first. But then when I'd find it, you know, like really focusing on it and, um, you know, I'm like 10 years out from my injury at this point and I'm, I haven't stopped that a lot of, a lot of ways I'm, I have a lot of those like pathways linked up pretty well at this point. So I don't need to think about it as much, but I still think about just like subtle little things that help me step correctly or keep my hips from dropping or, you know, lots of things that um, I didn't necessarily need to do before my injury. And so I'm hoping, you know, with time they'll get better, but I think at this point, in some sense, it's kind of equilibrated. So, um, you know, I'm doing tweaks here or there, but in the, in the early days of my injury, it was a ton of input, just trying to get everything online. Um, wow. So you, you didn't, uh, you didn't elaborate too much on your world championship win, which, which is totally fine. And you don't need to brag. I'm going to brag for you, but, uh, you and I actually won in tune Switzerland at the same time. And just the way that you're explaining your rehab right now, I wonder, so, you know, everybody accomplishes things in life, right? And, and whether, you know, some people write a book or, or, you know, you, you're getting your PhD, uh, you've won a world championships. Like a lot of these things are like great feats and great accomplishments. Do you recognize the fact that you rewired your brain and your body to walk as arguably your greatest accomplishment? Like, is that something that you recognize daily? Cause just the way that you're explaining it to me, I'm like, holy crap. Like th that's like the biggest thing that I've ever heard or someone close to me that you're like, you just, I just, I, I want to give my hat off to you. Cause I think that is a huge accomplishment, what you were able to do in your, in your rehab and your recovery. And, and I'm just curious whether or not you recognize it as much as, 
as I just did in the way that you explained it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's one of those things that it's hard to keep in focus because, you know, um, recovering from it took so much. It took, I mean, it took so much energy and pain and struggle. Um, and in a lot of ways, I think I'm just grateful to be able to like go on a hike or to go kayaking and go on a walk with my dog. And in the early days, you know, within the first year or two, that was so like tangible. It was like, I was just in a wheelchair every day and like every day was eight, nine, 10 level pain day after day and not really seeing progress to getting through that. So, um, I mean, yeah, I'd say it's something that is really emotional for me and it's hard for me to express, but I also, I have a hard time being so excited for it and, and proud of it partially because I just know that there's so many people that don't get to recover from spinal cord injuries. And that's hard for me to, in some sense, kind of, uh, I don't know if it's like take um, ownership or accomplishment in what it is, because um, I wish it was something like, I wish there was a cure for spinal cord injury, you know? And I also was super lucky with how my injury shook out and that it wasn't a complete spinal cord injury and higher up where, um, you know, those are, those are, uh, hard to recover from, if not possible. So fundamentally though, to answer your question, I'd say I'm just so happy for the simple things in life and, uh, and really to like, just be able to go kayaking again. And I, I came back from my injury and I recovered so well that I was like, okay, well, if I can like learn how to walk again, like let me get back into competition (laughs) and competition was great. But at this point, I'm just so happy to be able to just like go kayaking or, or go on a hike or, or any of the simple things. So it's um, in a lot of ways, I think that's really like all the accomplishment I need is it's just being able to live life in a way that is uh, not limited. I love that Jason. And, and I'd certainly don't want to spend too much time focusing on your injury because that's, I mean, again, it is an extremely unfortunate thing that happened and, and I'm, extremely proud of the way that you dealt with it. But I also am very excited for you in your new venture, uh, getting your PhD through Stanford, which for anybody listening out there, I didn't even go to college. So for the fact that you're getting your PhD at Stanford, I'm like, yeah, no, I know this guy. He's my close friend. So I'm I'm just like super stoked for you and proud of you. But kind of tell us what's going on with your PhD in geology and this super cool essentially the way you would explain it to me a little earlier um, on a previous call was it's almost like a dream job, what you've got here with getting to go kayaking or paddling via, you know, whether it be a raft of uh, a kayak or um, uh, what's the, what's the inflatable backpack thing? Um, pack raft. Pack raft. Um, yeah. Yeah. So whatever, you know, um, craft that you're taking out, you're, you're getting to go deep into the wilderness and just like, be engulfed in the wilderness, exploring, you know, ex- and, and adventuring and also doing geology work. So kind of run us through a little bit of what this PhD is and, uh, and kind of this dream job that you've created. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let me, let me back up and, and just say, I, as I was recovering from my back injury, I started taking classes and I, at that time, like all I wanted to do was kayak and I had, you know, kind of a career as a kayaker and, uh, I took a couple of classes and I was like, this is pretty cool. And then I took a class on um, historical geology and like learning about geologic time. And it was like, awesome. It was like amazing to think about, not just like the world in terms of like 
hundreds of years or thousands of years, like what we would consider to be like a really long time, but like, whoa, it's a billion years. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> and wow. I, I fell in love with it. And I, I really like it because in a lot of ways, it felt like, um, like a, like a science, like a discipline that wasn't so far removed from my life. You know, when you go kayak and you paddle down a river, you can see eddies and you can see sediment moving around and you can see bedrock. And so it was a lot of like the same concepts that I had really been using my whole life, but just using a different language and, um, different terminology to describe it. So I went kind of gradually at first getting into science. And then I just got like fully like rabbit hole <laughs> and like sucked it. <laughs> and so, uh, uh, what I, what I specialize in is, is structural geology and structural geology is basically the like, subdiscipline of geology and trying to understand the architecture of the earth in particular through like a tectonic perspective. So plates are moving on the earth and colliding and you're forming mountains and they're rifting and you're forming, um, you know, rift basins or ocean basins. And that to me was, was really cool. And I, wanted to study that a bit more. And so I did um, a master's project basically using structural geology in, in Nevada. So I'm from Reno. So, so basically going out into the desert and trying to use these tools of, of understanding fault systems to find hot springs and hidden hot springs for geothermal energy. And for those of you who aren't familiar with what geothermal energy is, it's basically using the latent heat energy stored in the earth and um, a lot of these are hot springs. It's just as simple as like hot water stored in the ground and drilling into that hot spring and extracting it. And it's um, something that you could run through a power plant and produce um, basically like some of the lowest carbon emissions power that we have on the planet. It's awesome. It's really cool. Mm -hmm. And it's also like a technology that's like just kind of taking off. It's been around for a while, but um, there's so much more to learn about it. And so I did a master's on that, which was really exciting. And I got done with that and I was like a little bit burned out, but also excited. And, and I never really imagined my life as a researcher, but I, I realized that I liked this style of work. Um, and I went and did a Grand Canyon trip. And as I was going down the Grand Canyon, it was, it was literally just after I submitted my master's. And um, I had all these like geologic things bouncing around my mind. And, you know, I think the Grand Canyon is this like pretty powerful place forever, who, whoever you are, but you know, it's such like a visceral place that you can look at rocks and you can think about geologic time. Um, and I thought about John Wesley Powell and, and John Wesley Powell, he's the, um, he had the first ascent of the Grand Canyon. And I think that experience impacted him enough, geologically speaking, that um, it was one of the main drivers for him then going on and um, helping found the USGS or the US Geological Survey. And so I realized that, you know, as a uh, river person as being a whitewater kayaker, we can access places that not many other scientists or other people can get to. And, um, you know, the Grand Canyon kicked off a whole revolution in geology just because people were able to get there and see the relationships and kind of have the, have the story you know, unfold, unfold to them. And um, it made me realize, you know, there's so many people that are doing whitewater exploration now and they're going to places that as like a geologist, like just going there and documenting those relationships would be like, it's gold, it's gold mine, essentially. Um, so I came up with this crazy idea to apply for PhD programs. And I kicked out you know, this, this letter to like 20 geologists across the country, like, hey, here's my background. I have this dream to go and combine whitewater kayaking with 
geology and um, to access places that people can't get to. And most people wrote back and they're like, hey, cool pipe, kid, you know, like, good luck to you. <laughs> and uh, some people wrote back and said, like, that's great, but that's not really what I do. But then I got one email from my advisor now, her name's Elizabeth Miller, and she has this really long and pretty incredible career uh, as a structured geologist conducting research all over the world. But one of the places that she works in is, is Arctic Alaska, um, and in particular in the Brooks Range. And she basically said, that's exactly what we do in the Brooks Range. We set up these complete expedition river trips to fly in, mostly with float planes, into these rivers in the Brooks Range. And there's no roads out there. It's one of the most pristine wildernesses on Earth. And basically, as we go downstream, we do geologic mapping, sampling, and um, uh, try to understand the geology of the area. And so, you know, basically from that first email, I like did a little Google search because I hadn't even heard of the Brooks Range before. I looked it up and just started reading. And it was like, it was like a magnet. I don't even know how to describe it. I just got like, like sucked in. And, uh, and so that's what I've been doing. You know, I've been, I've been at Stanford now a little less than two years. And um, I've had a couple of field seasons working in the Brooks range and it's been absolutely amazing. So that's, um, that's the backstory on kind of how I got into geology and, and where I'm at now. That is so cool. Uh, so to clarify, just because some of your geology is probably a little above my pay grade, are you looking for geothermal like you were before in the Brooks range or, or, or are you just studying what's in the Brooks range? That's a good point. I have, I have like two main projects. Both are in Alaska. Um, the Brooks range project itself is really kind of a classical geology project, um, really problem trying to understand how that mountain range formed. So not necessarily applied to geothermal energy, but the other project I'm working on is in Western Alaska. So, so um, you might have, have you heard of Nome, Alaska? It's where like I did a rod race ends. Uh, to be completely honest, I'm not that familiar. No, no, that's fine. It's a, it's, it's a town of about 4,000 people way off in Western Alaska, like right positioned um, before the Bering Straits. Okay. And uh, the thing about Nome is that they're completely isolated. They don't have any um, kind of traditional grid power wise. And so they burn diesel fuel 24 seven, 365 days a year. But north of Nome is a hot spring that they've tried to do geothermal energy production from, and they haven't quite succeeded in accurately you know, modeling the geothermal system and understanding the geological controls. So I have the Brooks Range project, and I'm also working on a geothermal project in Nome. Um, so kind of using those two things. But in both cases, a lot of what I do is really trying to understand fault systems and deformation and really like subsurface architecture to tell a story, whether that's trying to find energy or if that's a story trying to understand, you know, how this earth is formed through geologic time. That is so cool. That is so w with the, with the known project one, are you, is the end goal with the geothermal technology to be able to harness that, um, hot springs to power the small town then is that like, and then take that elsewhere in the world. Is that kind of the goal there or yeah, exactly. Like the goal for the GNOME project would to be to understand really the like subsurface plumbing of this hot spring, drill into it. And a lot of my work really revolves around like siding of wells and understanding, okay, this is the orientation of these faults and this kind of rock type and um, how hot water or fluids are flowing up, you know, kind of convecting almost like a, 
like hot water on the pan, like in the pan, you know, yep. like, like thermal cells rotating. Um, and if you can find that kind of source with just the right amount of heat and permeability, so being able to extract this out at a high enough flow rate to sustain a power plant, um, that would then, you know, at that point allow further studies, but really the end goal would be to build a power plant there and then give Gnome an alternative power source that would be first and foremost reliable, but also um, environmentally friendly and um, give them some independence because if you don't have diesel fuel and you're in the middle of the winter and it's minus 70, that's also super dangerous. And sometimes they can't get, you know, resupplies in. So um, that's one kind of extreme case of the benefit of geothermal, but its benefits, you know, can be applied to really any major community, wherever you're at. The, the primary limiting factor is just having the right kind of geological features there and being able to exploit those. Yeah. That makes, that makes perfect sense. And it's, it's probably a, a greener substitute than, I mean, again, maybe I'm wrong, but uh, in, instead of just burning diesel fuel for 24 seven, but uh, I, I don't know that for a fact, I'm just kind of guessing that it's gotta be better than that. But anyway, as far as your Brooks Rains project, tell us a little bit more of like, so you're kind of like going deep into the wilderness and what, what are your time periods? Are we talking like days, weeks, month? How long are you out in the wilderness? And is it just you? How many people are with you? What are you doing for supplies? Like kind of break down exactly what that's looking for a little bit. Almost like a, it, to me, it sounds a lot like a, a kayak expedition. So I, I, yeah, explain the difference a, a little bit and kind of, yeah, more of like what that trip looks like. It's, it's wild. So basically, um, they're about a month long trip, uh, in general, there, there's different trips that I want to do that are shorter, but I set up a month long river trip and I need to get all of the supplies on the front end. So rafts, you know, gear, all of that stuff lined out tents, but all of the food. Um, and then basically the, the major thing about Arctic Alaska is that you have bears, you have busy bears. And so, need to put all of the food in like bear resistant food containers. So basically they're like barrels essentially that you like yep. seal up and a bear can't come and pry up. Uh, and so there's this huge amount of prep that goes into basically just like making sure we have everything we need. Um, and then we basically fly in, typically we fly into battles and we'll load all of the gear and people up into float planes and then fly from there up and either land on the river or a lake, you know, somewhere high up in the drainage. Um, typically I go anywhere between about three people. It's a max I've had is six. And, um, uh, when we're out there, we basically bump the rafts down and set up kind of base camps. And from there I'll do some geology as we go, like paddling down the river, but really like the main gist of what I'm going for is doing these really big hikes. And basically there's, there's old maps to like geologic maps of the Brooks range. And there are specific areas of interest, like a fault that I want to go see or a specific rock type. And so, um, yeah, like the, the, the main, the main kind of thing that I work for is setting up these really big kind of loop hikes while I'm out there. And, uh, these hikes can range just from like a day hike to anywhere. I think the longest one I've done is about five days wow. and it's, it's really kind of logistically intense because, um, you know, there's no, there's no paths, there's no trails in the Brooks range. There's nothing like that. Like it's true wilderness. And a lot of it's basically reading the topography. Um, and what I found, I'll wear dry pants a lot of the time. And, and my, my workflow is that I'll hike from the river, typically up side creeks. And I'll take these side creeks up. Um, and then 
the one thing you want to like basically avoid is bush. Uh, like it's super intense. If you've heard of like Alaska bush, <laughs> it'll like blot out the sky and you won't be able to see, you know, you're like kind of like swimming in this bush. And so whatever wow. you can do to avoid like walking through bush saves so much time. Um, so basically try to minimize like the amount of time from the Creek all the way up to the ridge top. And when you get up to these ridges, it's like absolutely incredible. One it's good walking, which is huge, but two, you get up there and you can see everything in this place. I mean, it's like if there was like a middle earth on, on, on this planet, it, it might be the Brooks Ridge just cause it's, it's such a wild landscape. And, um, uh, we'll do these ridge hikes and we'll basically go for as long as we can and then try to reconnect back into creeks or drainages or something to drop off kind of, you know, the highest topography all the way back down to the river. And sometimes I'll have people, you know, bump the rafts down to me. So we'll be hiking kind of downstream, like parallel to the river, but downstream and they'll bring the rafts and we'll meet up with them or I'll load my backpack up, you know, with tents and food and supplies and stuff, but also a pack raft and we can kind of hike up and then hike upstream and make it back down to the river and then blow up the pack rafts and basically paddle back down to base camp. Um, so, you know, you spend a huge amount of time just getting the raft trip together, but even when we're out there, it's like planning just a single day of hiking, you know, requires like lots and lots of things. And then the final piece of this that I'm not even mentioning, is just like the science part of it and taking, as I'm going, I'm taking measurements, I'm collecting rock samples <laughs> and not, not many people are used to hiking, you know, in the middle of nowhere, Alaska, but like you hand them a rock, you're like, Hey, can you carry this? <laughs> It's like, like crazy. what, dude? My backpack's already heavy. <laughs> yeah, and so we'll load our backpacks up with quite a lot of rocks, and it's it's definitely a, it makes my back sore, but on on the whole, uh, like, oh, it's it's some of the most fun, like just like pure raw adventure and exploration. I think that's left, and um, uh, you know, some of these drainages that we hike up in places we get to. I don't know if any white person has ever been to these places, and it's it's somewhere that very few people have ever seen, I bet. Um, so getting to be kind of tapped into that kind of, uh, I don't even know if like describing as a natural environment is like what I would like my best term for it, because it's really like what the world was like before, you know, we ended up building houses and roads and, and this structure. It's just the world, but seeing the world in like a completely different way than even like some other beautiful place like Yosemite or even the Grand Canyon where you have, you know, so much traffic and travel and stuff that you see paths like out there, you might see some bear tracks like here and there and that's about it. Um, wow. So it's, it's super powerful. And I think I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful a because the science is incredible, but just getting to spend that much time, you know, in, in that kind of wilderness is, uh, is really, it, it's awesome. I, I love it. That's so cool. I definitely have to come and join you on one of these trips. It just sounds like such a rad adventure. And I think you've actually sent me a couple uh, a couple different photos from, I don't know if it's all from one trip or from a, a couple different trips. And it looks like every single photo, you've got a pistol like holstered on your chest. And is that just like, obviously just for, for bear protection, like everywhere you go? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I carry a gun and then bear spray. And I mean... I, I, I did some basically like firearm training in case there's a bad encounter with bears, but on the whole, I've, I haven't had anything, any problems. And really <laughs> the thing I'm most scared of is actually moose. Cause moose are like, uh, a huge and massive. And, yeah. uh, I've run into a couple of mama moose now that, um, uh, yeah, they're, 
a little spooky. So <laughs> I yeah, carried a gun for bears, but I, I, I haven't been in any situation, anything close to having yeah. issues. And um, I think a lot of that just goes into, you know, keeping a clean camp and being conscious and trying not to make mistakes that wouldn't put you in a bad situation. Just like, hi, like same thing, you know, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> try to yeah. try to find a good line. <laughs> yeah, there we go. I like that. I like that. I, I also uh, use kayaking as an analogy for like everything in life. It's so funny. But uh, yeah, do you, when you're out there, so you're like a month out on these, you know, wilderness expeditions, are you, are you doing like fishing or, or like foraging for berries or are you just packing all the food and you've got like so much space on the rafts that you've got food, you know, for days? We, we, we bring a lot of food. Um, okay. But with that said, like, the fishing out there is incredible. There's grayling fishing. Um, uh, you can catch grayling when you're in the right creek. It's like every casting where you like drop a line and you know, and pull it out. You got like amazing fish and that's uh, awesome. So yeah, there's tons of fishing. The fishing's world class. Another thing that's world class are the berries. There's like endless blueberries when they come in, and there's these thing called cloudberries that are like almost like an apple pie. I don't, I don't really know how to describe it. It's like one of the most intense flavors I've ever had. Wow. But in berry form. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and there's all kinds of other stuff. You know, I've, I've only just scratched the surface of like actually understanding, you know, the kind of, yeah, being able to forage food off, off the land and, and understanding the Arctic. But um, uh, one thing I will say that I am really surprised about is it's super green and lush up there but it's almost like you don't see many birds. And even then, like you don't see that many bears and I hear wolves, but it really does feel kind of like you're on the edge of the world. You know, basically where we put in on is at the Northern terminus of trees. So where you hit tundra and yep. north of that is, is no tree. And then as you work South, you get boreal forest. And um, anyways, I guess where I'm going with this is that it's so far up there that it doesn't have the kind of, um, ecosystem support, you know, species and, and kind of the diversity of species and the density of population really for what I'm used to in the lower 48. And I think why this is important is because everybody I've talked to, old geologists that have worked up there for 40 years, but even just for me, I mean, I've only been up there for two seasons, but you can see just like how drastically the, the environment is changing up there. Like the rivers are eroding and just like permafrost is melting like it's not like some like hypothetical thing like there it's happening on like a day-to-day basis i was up there in summer and it was like 80 degrees for like two weeks and it's like we're in the arctic right now like this doesn't feel right (laughs) you know um but i think that's playing out in other ways where maybe there was you know more diversity or something going on up there and it's I'm, I, I'm not a, a biologist, so I can't say for sure. This is just based off my experience, but it really does feel like um, things are dramatically changing up there. And um, even within the next decade, it might not be the same pristine that it was when I first showed up. And definitely for people that were there 20 or 30 or 40 years before, I bet it's a completely different world, um, wow. which is a little bit sad and a little bit alarming. It, it's, it's, I would almost say a lot sad and a lot alarming. Um how long with your studies, how long, like how many seasons do you plan to be up there doing uh, research and science? I'm hoping at least another two, if not three more seasons. Um, <laughs> I want to go up as long as I can. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so cool. Well, definitely within the next uh, two or three years, 
Uh, I am going to have to join you. It just sounds like too much fun. And I would love to uh, experience the Arctic, especially, you know, if it's changing as, as drastically as as you have experienced and how other scientists up there are, are you know, explaining it, then I'd love to, to go check it out before, you know, it's all gone and makes us also think like, you know, what, what we can all do on our part to, I don't know, just help slow down the warming of the planet or, or whatever, you know, is all the, everything that's coming into play for climate change, um, and I'm not trying to take the whole uh, conversation into climate change because I know that can be a hot topic, no pun intended there. But um, but yeah, it's. Uh, I think regardless how you look at it, the climate patterns of of the world are are changing, and and they're changing in a in a somewhat drastic um, pattern. Whether it be through humans or whether it just be a natural cycle within the millions or billions of years as, as, and maybe you as a geologist might have the best viewpoint on that being that you study the, the millions and billions of years. So I wouldn't even pretend to say that I have any, uh, scientific knowledge, uh, or scientific knowledge in any of those fields. But, uh, either way, the gist of it is I want to come up to the Arctic and, and experience, uh, the adventure with you for sure. Yeah, as, absolutely. Has your dad be great been to have you come up? Yeah, dude, I, I definitely want to come. Has your dad been up there with you? Because he's a geologist too, right? Yeah, he's a geologist too. I, I'm, I'm, I've been trying to get him to come up and it hasn't quite worked out yet, but I'm hoping, if not this coming summer, definitely sometime soon. He'd, uh, yeah, he'd love it up there. I think anybody would love it up there. The, the, I think the thing, the thing about, however you want to describe it, the, we all love this planet and it doesn't, you don't need to approach it from a scientific perspective. I think whether you're a fisherman and you love catching fish or if you're a bird watcher or if you just like standing outside, um, uh, I think we all want to preserve that at least in some capacity. And um, the Brooks Range in particular, I think it's so unique because there's so few places left on earth that are left that are untouched. And I think it's just, it's uh it says something when, you know, those little pockets that are like, set aside are, are finally, I think, starting to see the, the effects of whether it's us or whether it's just, you know, the planet changing or a combination of both, um, things are changing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you get your dad, uh, Lindsay up there and, and I'll see if I can wrangle Dane and we'll all meet up and go have an adventure in the Brooks range. And I think it'd be pretty rad. Um, that'd be cool. But so you, you talked a lot about through this interview so far, you've mentioned, uh, the Grand Canyon a couple different times. Tell us a little bit, Correct me if I'm wrong, but you're off to the Grand Canyon in like a couple of days or like pretty soon, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go do about a week trip, uh, a little bit fast, but drop in and go do a little little solo paddle down through the Grand Canyon. It's something I, I tried to get Nick to come and a few other friends. And uh, I think at the end of the day, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rally solo. But um, I love that place more than I have words to describe. My parents met on the Grand Canyon, actually. And the thing that first really got me into kayaking was a, a grand trip when I was six. So any opportunity I get to drop into that place, I think is, um, that's a bit of a gift. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. And, and I, I do encourage anyone who hasn't been to the Grand Canyon, if you've got the opportunity, definitely try to jump at it because it truly is just this magical and magnificent area. And my first time and my second time being in there, I definitely thought of you often, 
Um, especially knowing when you were studying geology, I was like, oh my gosh, Jason is going to just love this place. And so, yeah, I'm stoked that you're getting back in there and you'll have to tell me how the solo trip goes. In a lot of ways, I bet it'll be pretty cool. Just kind of like, I almost imagine that it's be easier to kind of just tap into your surroundings and like, I don't know, the soul of the, the universe or something like that. Just being like in such such a magnificent area and just I don't know having no one to disturb you and just being able to kind of like tap into the roots a little bit I'm, I'm not sure maybe I'm getting a little mystical here I hope so <laughs> that's the goal <laughs> awesome also awesome. just looking at rocks like that's it's like one of the few places you get to just like just like it's like tv for you just like sit there <laughs> see the walls go by see all different units come and go yeah yeah you don't need to be geologists just to appreciate that yeah, it's it's got some crazy rock formations in there too and just the whole history. I mean, yeah, it anyway, it's it's magnificent. If you guys haven't gone, definitely go check it out. It's so so cool. Jason, I have been having such a blast getting to talk with you. Uh this has been phenomenal. I'm going to move us on to the next part of the show that I call the fire round and just fire off a couple quick questions that I ask everybody. Uh Jason, do you have a favorite quote that you live by? Um, not, not anything off the top of my head. I'm sorry if I'm disappointing. <laughs> no, no, not at all. You know, one thing I did repeat to myself during my injury, and I think this is kind of unique to my injury. So I wouldn't say this is something I bring out all the time. Um, but it's a Winston Churchill quote, or at least I think it is. Uh, and it goes something along the lines, like, if you're going through hell, keep going. And that to me would like really stood out just because it was like a, a hard time in my life. My legs weren't working. I was in a ton of pain. And um, I don't know if you're listening to that and that rings true to you, at least in the context of uh, hard times and recovery, um, it did for me. That's powerful. That's powerful. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And yeah, if, uh, if anybody out there is listening that that is going through the hard times, uh, maybe go back and, and listen to the start of this again and, and listen to Jason's story because... Uh, He's got some powerful words in there, and, and, and I think he has set a great example for many people out there. Jason, I know that you also enjoy reading uh, like I do. What might be one of your favorite books or even just a current book that you're reading? Mm, I, read, I read a book um, this past summer. I started it last summer when I was in the Burks Range, but it's I think it's called Arctic Wilderness by Bob Marshall and they're kind of hard to get. I don't even know if it's like a book that's still in production, um, but it's about the first people or uh, not the first people, but definitely some of the first people to start exploring the Brooks range. And these guys are crazy. They would, uh, they would, this is in like the 1930s, I think of the 1920s and they'd fly into like some of the, the villages right at kind of proximal to the Brooks range. And they do these crazy hikes, like 50 mile hikes, a hundred mile hikes in the areas that, had no maps, like no beta. And they just go in and, and, and explore essentially. And sometimes to get into these places, they'd load up like boats, like skiff boats with all their supplies. And they'd hike these boats on like tow lines up like 50 miles, 75 miles. And they wow. do it in like four or five days. And, uh, you know, that's like what I do over my whole month long, like paddling adventures where they just like blast out and get up there. And then the next day, like do huge hikes. So at least to me, that was just like, completely like mind-blowing that this stuff you know this is like like some of the like original exploration 
of of the Brooks Range of that part of Alaska, and uh, and these guys are crazy. So um, yeah, kind of uh, uh, obscure form of of uh, exploration or reading, but if that's something that inspires you, it definitely inspired me. That's cool. What was the title again? Arctic something. Arctic Wilderness by Bob Marshall. Arctic Wilderness. I'll have to check that out and see if I can get my my hands on a copy. It sounds pretty wild. I, I, even when you were talking about just like your hikes and, and just different maps and stuff, it got me thinking like, man, it must have been wild to be the people that were like even creating the maps. Do you know what I mean? Like some of the first explorers and stuff. It just, yeah, pretty wild to think back to, I don't know, how rad those explorers and expeditions were and and at the same time i mean when you start reading different books about like you know expeditions from way back in the day just you know how deadly they could be too because it's just you never know what you're getting into so yeah pretty pretty wild stories for sure and i'll have to check that book out um jason i've got i've got a, a powerful question here that that i like to ask a lot of people uh and pretty much every guest that i bring onto the show if today was your last day on earth and everything that you've done up to now, all of your research, all of your championship titles, all of your videos, all of just everything that you've created um, was to go away with you. And all that you were left with was a pen and paper and you could leave three truths, three things that you believe to be true that you would like to share with friends, family members, or just the rest of humankind. Uh, what might those three truths be? Have fun is number one and enjoy life. Because I think if, if you're not uh, enjoying life and doing the things that make you happy, um, I don't know, at least to me, that's what life's all about. And then the second one is probably a bit uh, more pointed. And I think the human race has become so dependent on technology uh, we have this amazing like knowledge of science and, and technology and being able to adapt to whatever our problems are. Um, when my master's, you know, that project was really geared towards finding renewable power. And it was something I was really inspired by. It was like kind of finding, I found like a, a city's worth of renewable power in some ways. And when I got to the end of that, that project, I realized, you know, if we don't change like fundamentally how we're using resources, it doesn't matter whatever technology we might come up with. Like the, the, the issues that we're facing um, in the climate right now and, and basically preserving ecosystems and species and mass extinctions, um, that's something I think that every person, no matter what your political affiliations are like we all love being human beings and being on this planet like that extends beyond just our modern culture right now and it's something that we are going to leave behind to the next generation and you know the the actions and the, the choices we make today will have really significant consequences for a long time so my truth would be is to just try to live in a way that says imbalance and um uh, uh respectful of the natural environment is possible and not everybody can do that perfectly, but I think a million people or a billion people do it imperfectly. That's really what we need. Um, and then the third one I'd say is if you can, and if you're going through a hard 
period of time and you're trying to recover from an injury. Um, I think whatever you're going through, if you approach it through with the right perspective and mind state, uh, what I found was that those struggles and those times will pass. And so I'm trying not to get too grounded in the hard times and know that, uh, you know, things will get better. I love that, Jason. That's such powerful words and advice. Uh, and, and I think again, so many people will appreciate your wisdom that you're sharing with us today. Thank you so very much for sharing your story, uh, your adventures, your wisdom. This has just been a ton of fun, and I can't wait to uh, get together with you again in person. Uh, something that I try to do for all of my guests that I get to bring onto this show is to try to provide as much value as I can because you have been providing a ton of value for myself personally and for our listeners. So what might be something that you're focusing on right now that I could possibly help out with, or maybe even my listeners. Um, I would say just if, if, if you're someone who's into science and loves science, you're welcome to reach out to me. I can, I can give, uh, give my contacts. And if these are ideas, geothermal, Alaska, whatever it might be, I just like talking to people about, you know, these, these different, these different things. And, um, uh, one thing that I would love I didn't really particularly start off as a scientist and I don't even know if I would really consider myself a scientist now. Um, but I, I would love to try to help break down the barrier of people feeling like, you know, there's the ivory tower of science and getting whoever it might be. It could be a grandma, my grandma, your grandma, uh, eunuch, your kids, whoever it might be. And um, engaging with just approaching the world from what we might know, know scientifically and, and breaking down the barrier of, you know, common sense and science. Cause I don't think, I don't think there needs to be such a big barrier. So uh, I know that's, that's a little bit broad, but um, to those of you listening right now, uh, uh, just know scientists are no different than someone like me that started off as just a crazy kid kayaking all the time. Um, and, uh, and see if, you know, if, if, if there's any way that you can engage with science and scientific thinking, I think it's, it's really powerful and it's cool. So that's, that's, about, that's amazing. That's all I have to say. <laughs> That's amazing. And I'm definitely going to get uh, one for anybody out there listening. If you guys uh, take Jason's advice and reach out, uh, whether it be through him or through another scientist or just get into the sciences as a whole, there's so many different you know, fields of science, which is super cool. Uh, but I'm also going to get you, uh, get Tucker and you uh, connected because I'm just, as he's growing up, I think he's, uh, he's definitely a, a critical thinker and, and I just would love to him, uh, love for him to have more conversations with you and just kind of learn, I don't know, more about what you've been doing and the experiences that you've had and, and the knowledge and, and see if, uh, see if that's something that sparks his interest. So I, I will, I will take your advice and, and try to connect, uh, connect you and, and I think others should as well for anybody, for anybody that would like to connect with you further, um, what might be the best way for them to connect with you, whether it be through social media or, or email or just come meet you uh, in the wilderness out in the Brooks Range? All, all, all of the above, except I don't have social media, so I can give my email address. And uh, uh, if you're someone that just wants to reach out and say hi, I'd be, I'd be thrilled to hear from you. Um, uh, maybe I'll give, I'll give you my email, Nick, and you can include that in the, in the uh, Yeah, I'll put... 
I'll put it I'll put it in the show notes for everybody. Uh, so yeah, for anybody that wants to reach out to Jason, uh, please check out the show notes below, and I'll I'll have his email in there. Final question for you tonight, uh, Jason, is what is your definition of awesome? That's a good question. That's a really good question. I would say whatever you're doing, if it's science, if it's, you know, um, kayaking, if it's working at an arts festival, there's a million things you're doing. As long as I think you're having fun and um, approaching life in a way that you bring your all to whatever it is. I think that's the most awesome. And I've, I've been finding a lot of inspiration, uh, not, not necessarily in like people doing the craziest stuff, but people who, um, you know, are like uh, just making things work and having an awesome time, like just like going skiing when they have a day to go skiing or having a garden. I know this might sound like super random, but um, I, I do feel that like on the whole, our culture is like hyped up, like trying to do the craziest things all the time. And I, I hope I don't come across, I, I'm sure I come across them that way in some kinds because working in Alaska is crazy, but I wish that, you know, our, our culture would like hyped up just like, you know, doing normal stuff. Like that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Going on like a classroom kayaking run. Like that's, that's sick. <laughs> it, it truly yeah, that is. That kind of stuff. That's what I find awesome. I love that. I love that you're breaking down those barriers and encouraging people to, yeah, not necessarily just always uh, showcase the the wild and extreme, but just promote just the awesomeness that is every day. So yeah, I love that definition, Jason. Again, thank you so very much for joining us, for sharing all of your wisdom, your knowledge, your experience, and your adventures. As uh, always, I'm stoked to get to spend any time that I can with you, and I very much look forward to when we get together in person, wherever that may be on our next wild adventure, uh, whether it be in the Brooks Range or whether I'm going to come out and, and ski or paddle or do something fun with you. Uh, very excited to to connect with you. For all of our listeners out there, I hope that you guys got value out of Jason's st- story and his wisdom and his experience because I certainly did and if you did or if you know someone that maybe is going through a hard time or that might need to hear um, Jason's story please if you could share this out with them and uh, just help us build our community and collective as a whole by word of mouth and by sharing that out uh, one person at a time. If you want to throw it up in your social media, that would be greatly appreciated. Um, But more than anything, I'd just love to help you uh, share this out with one person that you think might need to hear this. Thank you all for tuning in. I hope uh, you had as much fun as I did this evening. And I'm Nick Troutman signing off, wishing you all an awesome day. Cheers. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. 
This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu visit.